And welcome to the Striped Onion Show, where we peel them back good. And now to our host, the man with the plan, Sergeant Peel. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. We are back. Once again, another great show. So this is one of my friends. Uh, we still call it a Southern state, but it's Kentucky. A uh, friend of mine, Kelly Robinson, a great mental health professional, a part of a great group of people and peers in Kentucky. Like I said, Kentucky Leap. Um, she's got some fabulous insight when it comes to the world of family, uh, first responders, and mental health. That's the best way I can describe it. So I'm looking forward to y'all hearing this show. Uh, but as always, do me a solid favor right now. Hit that share button. I don't care what platform you're listening on, hit that share button, send it right across all them social media channels and let's get the word out. That's what we got to do. So without further ado, let's get right to the show with Kelly. Welcome back y'all. You just don't understand. This is one of my, this is one of my good friends right here. Kelly, I'm so glad to see your beautiful face. Kelly's a longtime friend of mine. I told y'all in the intro, she's She's a, she's one of the good ones. I, I've said that about my other, my other guest, but she really is one of the good ones. She's one of those ones that, and I might even go into the level of might've, she might've forgot more than several of us know. I mean, she's one of those good ones. So Kelly, how are you this morning? How are you doing? I'm doing great, Sarge. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk and your kind words are just, uh, Beyond belief. <laughs> hey, I appreciate it. She, Kelly always, you know, she blesses a bunch of us with uh, little gifts here and there. And I, I'm going to tell you the the beer cheese, I think is the most fabulous uh, gift I've seen show up several times. There's been other gifts, but uh, I can tell you from, from this household, the beer cheese has been a hit. I love it every time I see it. So again, thank you for doing that. That's always wonderful. It's always welcomed and, and I appreciate you for that and for thinking of us. So, How's, uh, how's beautiful Kentucky doing? Well, Kentucky is doing much better than it has been the past few weeks. Uh, we actually have some sunshine outside, uh, which is just, it's wonderful. We're actually aiming towards about 60 degree weather uh, this coming up week, which is um, a big change from the fact that we had a lot of snow and then we had ice. And this past week, we've had just tremendous flooding. Um, so the eastern part of the state, uh, the waters are just beginning to fall and go down, and now they're able to get in and see what destruction that those poor folks have had to deal with and will have to deal with for weeks to come. It's just sad that, you know, you look at the amount of people who've lost homes, who've lost parts of their community, uh, lost their businesses, um, and on top of a pandemic of all things. Yeah. So Kentucky is rallying back though. I mean, we, we get in there and help one another as I know they do in South Carolina and throughout the United States. And that's just what we do as people. Well, Kelly, take a minute. Tell us about your background. You already kind of brought up the topic on where we're going to go today, talking about dealing with not just the mm -hmm. pandemic, but from a mental health standpoint, because your field, um, but talking about stuff like natural disasters, I mean, we're, we're dead on tar target with already talking about what we're going to do, but introduce yourself real quick. Tell us about your background, if you will, for just a minute. 
Sure. Uh, my name is uh, Kelly, obviously, and uh, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, I am the oldest of uh, three kids. And I say kids. I'm not a kid anymore, I don't think. <laughs> I would like to be. Um, you can but... always act like it, though. The beer cheese makes it fun all the time. So. <laughs> That's right. That's it. Exactly. I think, you know, your age is just a, a frame of mind. You it's know, if you look at, the, at yourself and you say, oh, I'm 59, then you can choose to either be 59 or you can choose to continue to live your life and be a free spirit. And so I think that's what I try to do. Uh, it's just a frame of mind. Sometimes I turn around and I think, am I really that old? Um, and then I'm like, yes, I am. In certain aspects, uh, I begin to feel that daily. But uh, getting back <laughs> well, to what idiotic. you asked, <laughs> isn't that the truth? Um, so I actually, it's kind of interesting. Um, I grew up with my mother and my stepfather, who is more of a father to me. Um, and they both have MBAs. Uh, my father, my stepfather has um a doctorate in human resources. My brother and my sister are all in finance or in business. I'm not. I'm the oddball house. <laughs> the only way I figured that I ended up maybe getting this social service and this need to, to help others uh, may have come from my biological father, who was a firefighter. Uh, and I remember, and you may have heard this story, I remember going to the fire department when I was a younger child and my father was six, three, six, four. And I can remember him lifting me up onto that pole and me squealing as I went down that pole. Um, I, I have vivid memories of him putting me in his boots and pulling those boots around as I clopped through the firehouse. Uh, I'm going to really age myself. I can remember him putting me up in the front of the fire truck and me ringing the bell. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. um, that is old time, I know. So I think I probably got a lot of that from my father, um, my paternal grandmother. Uh, I think I have a lot of her personality. Uh, she was just a very caring, loving person who would give you the shirt off her back. And I think she pretty much kind of instilled a lot of that in me. Uh, my mother and my, my stepfather instilled independence and making sure that I not only give to others, but that I also take care of myself. Um, I've done a lot of work throughout the years working um, with children uh, in a psychiatric residential treatment facility uh, for, for boys ages 6 to 12 who had severe behavioral health problems. Uh, I've worked in foster care. And also uh, I have worked with um, adults that have developmental and intellectual disabilities. And I think probably while those are all very rewarding jobs, um, I think the one that I have enjoyed the most, however, and that really hits close to my heart is the work that I get to do with first responders particularly with the law enforcement community, uh, with their spouses, um, as well as, you know, with the agency that we have, we work not only with all first responders, but we also work with the community after a disaster, uh, with businesses, 
with school shootings, with schools where maybe they've had kids that have taken their lives or um, faculty who've taken their lives, parents who maybe have died, going in and being able to help those individuals to um, have some type of normalcy. And you know, that, that you know, you mentioned SISM uh, and SISM really, the critical incident stress management is something that really helps provide that ability to help individuals to understand that a lot of the things that they're going through are normal reactions. They're common reactions to things. Um, and it doesn't mean that there has to be a stigma around getting that help. It's helping that individual. And so um, my biggest um, I guess honor and my biggest humility is uh, being accepted by the law enforcement community and being able to work with them uh, and give back to people. So that's just, I guess, kind of a little bit about me. Um, I have a dog and a cat. <laughs> um, I have a partner of 20, oh boy, hold on now. 24 years. <laughs> so you better get it right. You're going to get in trouble. I know. <laughs> I know. So that's, that's kind of me in a little bit of a nutshell. Well, I do appreciate you spreading that out and telling us and, and, and loving on us with that. So the bigger thing, obviously that we want to get on with the show is talking about what you hit on right there. Uh, mm -hmm. your specialty being family, uh, your agency, especially with natural disasters and stuff like that, with everything that's going on, and it's, it's not just Kentucky, and it's not that I brought no. Kelly to the show because of Kentucky. This entire nation yes. over the past month, just dealing with the snow and ice disasters yeah. that showed up all across the nation and on top of the pandemic. Yeah. So the topic, obviously, is that. We wanted to get into not just the stress management side of it, but little things that might help as you go through recovering from a natural disaster. So if you're one of our SRSers and you're listening to this show, I mean, do understand first off hearts and prayers and thoughts are with you because if you're going through a natural disaster right now on top of the pandemic, then we obviously want to want you to know that we're, we're thinking of you. Uh, we're Absolutely. praying for you and, and we're wishing the best for you, but do know that there are resources out there. If you are struggling, yes. There's first responders. This is the other thing. There's first responders in military that most of the time typically leave their homes and their families to go help Absolutely. the other ones to not even care about their own homes. We saw that uh, in the Carolina several years ago when we had several first responders leave their homes to go serve the emergency communities that they were working in only to come back to find their homes either underwater, flooded or gone. Absolutely. And that was one of our big resources to respond to. So Kelly, that's what I wanted us to talk about. Um, so as things go forward and you, like you said, y'all are really in the beginning of recovering just on the Eastern side of Kentucky. It's no different in Texas as it is anywhere else in the nation. What's some of the, the pointers that you could throw toward? It doesn't have to be just first responders, first responder families. It could be just someone in the community, the military members that are, I mean, you talk about, not you, but we've talked about like the national guard that's still in DC right now. Yes. They're not near their homes. They have no clue what their homes are looking like, especially if they're a single family home. So, 
Um, Absolutely. What's, what's some pointers you can, you can throw at these, these friends of ours or SOSers out there? Sure. So, you know, it, this is going to sound like the simplest thing that for uh, first responders and many of us, uh, it's very difficult and probably one of the hardest things to do is you have to take care of yourself first and foremost. You know, make sure that you're getting that sleep. Make sure that you're getting that food. Make sure that you're getting something to drink. Um, those things are going to help keep you healthy. They're going to help keep you moving. Um, they're going to help keep you functioning. Uh, it may seem like a simple thing, but, you know, how many times, you know, do we get wrapped up in things and later on in the day, you, you think to yourself, gosh, you know, I've got a headache or I don't feel so great. And then you, you begin to think back and you're like, man, when was the last time I actually had something to eat or drink? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's, that's vital. So that, that would be the first thing. The second thing is, you know, what's worked for you in the past? What are some of the coping things that you have used in the past that have actually worked for you? If those things have worked, try using those now too. Uh, they may or may not help. Uh, but if they have helped in the past, then chances are it's going to be a lot easier to be able to move forward. I think one of the biggest things is that you have to remember, you know, this is going to be a process and it's a grief process. And anybody who's been through grief, and I would dare to say probably all of us have, um, we know it's not a simple one, two, three, and you're done oh, let's see, this happened on Monday. And so, oh, we should be done by Friday. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if we could get through grief that easily? But we can't, we're human beings. We feel, we think, we hurt. Uh, we go through those same emotions. And so I like to think of grief and many other people do, and I am by far not the expert on grief. Um, I'll leave that to uh, the experts, such as uh, Dr. Teresa Rondo, who is who's an expert in grief. And we've um, talked about her before on the show. Love yeah. Miss Terry. I call her Miss oh, Terry. Oh, I do too. I do woman. too. We're going to um, have her on the show. We'll, we'll just, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, she's a wonderful woman. Um, but I, I think about the fact that it really is like a roller coaster. You know, one minute you may be be positive and thinking, okay, it could have been worse. This could have been, been a lot worse. I could have lost my family. Um, maybe you're a single individual, you're an, an elderly individual and all you have is a pet. I could have lost my pet. That's my, my person, you know. Um, the next minute you may be thinking, why, why did this happen to me? And you know, it's a normal reaction to question God and to, and to, to ask, why did this happen? Um, doesn't mean God's gonna get mad at you. It just means that you're going through that normal process That's and it's gonna human. take time, you know, it's, it's gonna take time. Absolutely. Um, you know, if it's safe, don't try to go back into an area that, you know, is not safe and uh, hopefully you know, I know with our first responders, there's so many, there's only so many first responders to go around. You can't be everywhere. Uh, emergency management, um, military, the National Guard, they all, they, they can't be everywhere to help with every single circumstance. But you've, you've got to take a look at what you're going into 
Is it safe for you to be there? If it's not safe, then don't go in there. Don't risk your life. Um, get with other family members. Reach out to your church. Uh, you know, I think back to um, the tornadoes that happened back in 2012. And, you know, several of the churches were destroyed in West Liberty. And the churches that maintained that, that their buildings were still intact and functioning, you know, they reached out to the other pastors and said, hey, we want you to be able to have your services. You know, let's work out a schedule. And they worked out schedules so that, you know, maybe the uh, Christian church had their service at nine in the morning and at uh, 11, the Baptists had their service or um, at 12, maybe um, uh, Catholics had their service. So it, it's about working together as that community and reaching out to one another. Um, there are places out there that'll help. You know, there are shelters that are set up. Don't be ashamed to go to a shelter. If you need that help, go. It's better for you to be safe. It's better for you to be someplace where um, you have um, the ability to sleep. You have that ability to start to rebuild. And by rebuild, maybe not necessarily your home at that point, but rebuild yourself to uh, re-energize yourself, to be able to, to meet up with those resources. Um, we have and I'm sure most other places do this as well, but we set up kind of this, it's kind of like a one-stop shop resource center. Um, and so they'll have like cleaning supplies there uh, for people, like buckets with cleaning supplies in it. They may have somebody from FEMA there. They may have uh, somebody from the local community mental health center there. Uh, they may have somebody from um, our agency to to be able to just do a one-on-one -on -one with someone. And they may have someone from the health department that you know may give tetanus shots because I think sometimes people forget that this, is, this can also be a dangerous situation for them uh, in dealing with the floodwaters and dealing with the mud and, and anything else that's out there. And so it becomes one place where they can go and they can kind of get all of the help that they need so that they're not having to go, you know, down the road or, oh, no, that's being held in another county. So you'll have to go there. Just makes it easier on individuals in what is already a very uncomfortable and a, and a very sad situation for them. Um, so I would say that, you know, first and foremost, you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to um, obviously take care of your family. When it's safe, you can go in there and you can take care of the things that you need to take care of uh, with your home. Maybe you are able to save some things and maybe you're not able to save some things. And that also, I think, perpetuates the grief because of the fact that not only have you been through this flooding and you've had to leave, but now you've lost everything. Um, so you have to be gentle on yourself. I'd say that's a big thing is be gentle with yourself. Uh, because it can be a long process. You know, I, I can remember, you know, with the, the tornadoes that, you know, there were first responders who obviously were having to go into places in the hollows. Uh, eastern part of Kentucky is Appalachian and, and has a lot of hollows and a lot of places that I think unless you saw it, 
uh, above it, if you were flying around in a helicopter, you would not necessarily know they existed. Um, and there may not be a home around for miles. And it may be very difficult to get to that place. And there were first responders who were going in and trying to find people and, and having to deal with things that typically they would not have to deal with. And, and anybody, I think, that's been through a tornado, um, and I have not been through a tornado and I've not experienced this myself, but from what I've I'm told is tornadoes are not very friendly to people. Um, and so having to deal with what they've seen on top of trying to figure out how do I, how do I help this individual who is already deceased? How do I get this person where they need to go? Added a lot of stress on top of already dealing with being up for hours and hours. So, you know, one of the things I would say about dealing with disasters and uh, dealing with big events is this, you know, you have to take care of yourself. You've got to make sure you're having that sleep and that diet. Um, don't make big decisions right now. Um, you know, maybe your vehicle was destroyed uh, and you're going to need a vehicle. But this isn't the time to go out and buy that $40,000, $50,000 vehicle you've always wanted uh, because you're functioning on kind of a different level right now. Um, reach out to other individuals, you know, and, and the things that we saw and the things that we dealt with uh, were the fact that, you know, sometimes I think people neglected to make sure they took care of their health needs as well. And, you know, if, if you're out there and you're feeling heart palpitations, you're out there, you're feeling sweaty. I mean, unless you're working, you know, where you're going to sweat, if you're just feeling really sweaty, you're feeling lightheaded, you're uh, having stomach aches and things like that, pay attention to those things because they're all saying something to you. Um, it's very normal uh, after this. Uh, and one of the, the groups that we were doing, one of the trainings I was doing one night uh, down in West Liberty um, that had to do with the parents were for the kids. You know, they had always been told that the trees would protect them. The hills would protect them from tornadoes. They were used to flooding, but they were not used to tornadoes. And when the tornadoes came through, it didn't protect them. Yeah. And so, you know, some of the parents were like, you know, now I feel like my child's not ever going to believe me again. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it's just making sure that you do the same things you would normally do as a parent, making sure that you try to ease their hurt, making sure that you um, talk to them about stuff. Doesn't mean that you want to elaborate and you want to have a, uh, several conversations a day. Probably the biggest thing with kids is getting them back to a normal routine mm -hmm. um, because of the fact that they're used to having some normalcy. So, um, making sure that they were able at that point to get them back to school, making sure that, you know, the family meal was still held at the same time. 
um, getting them back into bed at the same time. You know, teachers ask, what do we do with the kids at school? You know, they're going to be nervous. How do we handle this? And it's like, you know, if you need to take a few minutes each day, you need to take a half an hour each day to just allow kids to talk. That's fine. Allow them to talk, but don't focus on it and get stuck on it. And, you know, one of the things we found is rumors. (laughs) Rumors were just all over the place. Uh, There were rumors that uh, certain things maybe had taken place and the kids were worried about that. And once we were able to kind of demyth them, then they were able to move on and everything was all right. You know, when we're looking now, however, let's throw in a pandemic. (laughs) You know, we've we've got a pandemic where this, most kids have been out of school um, for an entire year uh, as far as being in a school building itself. They're now at home. Um, They're getting education on a computer. Some of our students are not able to even get on a computer because the internet is not helpful for them. They can't get the broadband. They can't get it to stay moving. They've lost all of that contact with their friends. And, you know, kids need to have, have that ability to get with other kids. And they're just now beginning to really send kids back to school here. Uh, I'm not really sure what it's like in, in the rest of the United States, but for here in Kentucky, um, they're sending certain grades back, you know, and they're talking about sending more back in April and then they get out in May. <laughs> so, you know, you've got kids that are home all the time. You have parents who, if they're lucky enough to be able to telework, can be there with them. If not, then you have these added stressors of parents who don't have the ability to um, be home with their kids. They're having to hire somebody uh, maybe to stay with their kids during the day or they're needing to do different schedules like some schools are done by 12. And so then they're leaving and having to go to work. Um, The unemployment that's taken place. Um, I honestly don't know how healthcare workers and first responders uh, have kind of dealt with all of this um, because they're out there with COVID in their face every single day. And then they have families at home to go to. And do they, do they have fears that, the, that they'll be bringing the COVID home? Sure, absolutely. Um, I mean, we've been seeing it on our level too. I mean, I think you would agree a lot of times and, and you're going, when you talk about the pandemic, it's, it's almost like dead, even line in line with how natural disaster issues are. Yes. First responders, healthcare, military, they always put their own needs to the back burner. And that can be a bad thing, especially if they're affected by either COVID or, um, no disaster. So going down that path. Yeah. Just some of the stress reactions that we've talked about already pay attention to them. Kelly, you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, don't, don't be afraid to go and talk with somebody about it. Exactly. You know, I, I mean, I, I know that it, it has been taboo to, to some degree and it's understandable, 
uh, for our first responders to go and talk to somebody, um, you know, and yet, at least through the PCISs, uh, I'm seeing that, you know, a lot of first responders are more open to going and talking to somebody um, about what's going on with them. Um, you know, and in general, I would say, you know, it, it, even if you just go in and, and you talk with somebody, it, you may find that just in that one conversation that they've given you some thoughts, they've by you're talking with them, they've given you maybe some ideas. You all have talked about different things that, you know, you don't need to go back. And, and I'll say that's one of the things that we've kind of done with the pandemic as well, um, you know, because we provide services to first responders. We provide that critical incident stress management to first responders. Uh, we do provide it to the schools. We do provide it to the communities. So one of the things that we did, um, is that I teamed up with the Department of Behavioral Health. Kentucky is a little bit different. Um, you know, in Kentucky, the Department of Behavioral Health, Developmental and Intellectual Disabilities is the mental health authority uh, for all events. However, their commissioner has uh, kind of signed a paper, has signed a paper that basically um, names us as the mental health authority for disasters. Right. Um, and so they're the mental health authority for everything else. We're the mental health authority for disasters. We're the lead agency for uh, critical incident stress management for disasters and for incidents, for critical incidents. And so uh, one of the things that we have done is um, I teamed up with the Department of Behavioral Health with someone there and we were able to provide a lot of services out there to the long-term care facilities. Um, and so uh, one of the people in the office, and here my dog, um, one of the people in our office um, developed some brochures that were COVID specific um, that could be sent out to uh, various places in Kentucky. So we've kind of shot those out. Um, the secretary of um, the cabinet for health and family services had asked that there be a plan uh, um, put in place that could be used throughout all the short, uh, the long-term care facilities. And so the other person that I, I worked with um, really kind of developed a lot of this. Um, and so it's something that has been used to help those facilities who have had um, hot zones, who've had a lot of individuals that have had COVID to be able to reach out uh, and take care of their own, um, to help the supervisors, to help keep the morale there. It's a behavioral health resiliency plan for them. Uh, and it addresses different things like, um, what do you do if you've had staff that have been out and uh, need to come back in now that, you know, they're, they're clear from COVID, you know, what are their anxieties going to be? What are their fears going to be? And so with that, we've also provided a number for them and we, we have a 24 hour number that we use. And that number, um, if somebody calls, that number automatically transfers to my cell phone. And so 
it, it kind of works out well, to be honest with you, um, as a, a qualified mental health professional, when that call comes in, then I'm kind of able to do a little bit of a triage and figure out, you know, does this person need immediate help where I maybe need to go ahead and get them to a hospital? Or it, does this person need immediate help uh, that a crisis, uh, a mobile crisis unit could work with? Um, you know, are they suicidal? Are they not suicidal? Um, do they have some anxiety that's going on? What, what is that anxiety? Is that anxiety obviously related to what is going on? Or is it more um, an anxiety disorder? And so once I kind of figure that out, then we have about 250 people that are on our team that are behavioral health, first responders, uh, chaplains specific to first responders, chaplains in hospitals, uh, retired military, educators. Um, we have a canine crisis companion or a canine crisis compassion team. I always get oh. my words jumbled up with them. But there's uh, a couple of those around too. We've seen them in the upstate of South Carolina. I think Greenville Sheriff's Office has one. So yeah. Yeah, they're excellent. Uh, they actually go through uh, training to become uh, therapy dogs and then they take the nationwide training where they have to go through a lot more stuff uh, to be able to work uh, with individuals. And, and I can tell you, um, it's been very interesting. Um, at one of our annual team trainings, um, I was standing there talking to somebody and I, I was totally unaware that uh, one of our dogs had come up to me and it was in talking later uh, to the team member who has the dog, who has Ziggy, she said, uh, I just want you to know that as soon as he hit the building and he came in, he came up the ramp and he came directly to you. He hit on you. And I was like, really? And she said, yeah, you must have had a little bit of anxiety or something going on because he came directly to you. And, and, and it's what they do. They go to the person they feel like is having some stuff going on and I thought, huh. And after I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, I did have a little anxiety that day um, with what was going on and, and the training and stuff that was going to take place. So they're excellent. They're wonderful. I've, I've seen them work with kids. Um, you know, we talk about West Liberty. I saw a, a child who uh, who had, a, had had a cut that literally went, you know, straight down from the top of his head down here. And... Um, he really didn't want to talk. Uh, he came up and asked if he could pet the dog. Um, and while he was petting the dog, he started talking to me. And uh, as it turned out, he and his family had been in a trailer. And when the tornado came, it lifted the trailer up in the air, um, ended up flipping it several times. So he got tossed from one end of the trailer to the other end of the trailer. I mean, little fellas, I mean, at the time, very lucky it didn't kill him. Um, and it cut open his head here. As he talked and he was talking about that, he went from petting the dog to the dog was on the floor to he was laying on the dog to um, he was telling more about the story. So, you know, the dogs, I, as you've seen, are just fantastic with oh, yeah. helping people 
not only the kids, but there are adults uh, to open up and, and feel more comfortable uh, in talking. Oh, yeah. So that, that's agree. a plus. So, you know, the, the rest of our team, you know, we we have massage therapists there. So one of the two things I always get asked when I when I'm doing an overview about our team or talking about our team is, oh, did you bring the massage therapist and the dogs? Uh, you bring those two and I guess everything's okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so we have had people that have called that have reached out because of the pandemic uh, and called that that number. And so after I do that triage, then um, I turn around and, and figure out who would be the best fit for them to talk with. But somebody that is having some anxiety and I figure, you know, they might need a little bit more. I may hook them up with a team member who actually is behavioral health. Um, if not, I, I reach out to our other team members. Um, just so you're aware, all of our team members have to be trained in SISM. So they all go through that assisting individuals in uh, crisis intervention. And the assisting class, as you know, teaches the SAFER model, uh, which is a way to be able to do a one-on-one. Um, people may say, well, I know how to talk to somebody. Well, yeah, but what it is, is it, it, it's very uh, focused. Um, whereas we're helping that individual really to be able to figure out what it is that's going on with them, uh, where they need that help, help them to pinpoint what they can do uh, to help themselves. Because the reality of it is, and, and you know this, that with disasters, we're only going to be there for a certain amount of time. And our agency is not a long-term mental health team. Um, so it's being able to have that one-on-one, um, it also in the group crisis intervention, our, our team is trained in that. So that is where you learn the interventions where you're either just giving information or you're, uh, sharing information. You're having a, a back and forth conversation. And that's where we do, as you know, the diffusing and the critical incident stress debriefing. Uh, and they all have to be trained in this um, if they want to work with critical incidents. Um, and quite honestly, I'm, I'm very uh, specific about who I patch up or match up with somebody. So, for example, if it's, if it's law enforcement um, and say it has been an officer involved shooting, it makes more sense to hook them up with a team member who also has been through an officer-involved shooting versus hooking them up maybe with, um, and this is no offense to anybody, who maybe their entire career has been um, as a school resource officer. Yeah. Because they're going to have that, that understanding and kind of that, they know how they felt with this. Uh, they know what they went through. And while it's a different circumstance, they can also talk with that individual about here are some of the things I went through. Here's how I handled some of this stuff. Um, and when that person, and when we find that that person talks back with them and, and we've talked about some of those common reactions, one of the biggest things we hear all the time is, wow, it's just good to know that I'm not crazy. It's good to know that I was beginning to think I was the only one. Oh, yeah. 
That's one thing and we talked so, about before. We talked about how the importance of pairing peers to peers is, is a yes. big deal. It is a big, big deal. Yes, we bragged is. about how the relationships between Kentucky, Texas, Carolinas, Georgia, both Carolinas, North and South Georgia, uh, getting mm-hmm. up around Virginia with Kit and them. So we, you've got the availability of peer team members of all kinds. So yes. we, we, we talk about how we pick on Eric Skidmore. If Eric Skidmore <laughs> needed a left-handed five foot two female shooter who shot a six foot eight, you know, guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> Eric's probably going to know somebody. He knows who to call in Kentucky. I mean, that's what yep. it's about. So yeah, you're yes, it up. is. It is. And, uh, you know, I think it's, um, it's vital that that's there. You know, it, it's really interesting because, you know, we found recently that, you know, our team, because our team is not just law enforcement. I mean, we have fire, we have EMS, yeah. we have dispatch. Uh, you know, when I'm, when I am coordinating a response, uh, one of the things that happens is whoever I'm speaking with on that other end, you know, I will ask them, uh, not because I really want to know the details, but, I'll ask them the details because it's important for me to know that so that then I'm able to try to, to pair the best peer with them. Um, The other part of that is, is, you know, we get a lot of calls from fire and fire world will often uh, include EMS. They'll include uh, law enforcement. And I will say to them, have you thought about including dispatch? Have you thought about including the county coroner? Uh, Because here in Kentucky, you know, I could run for coroner and be elected and have absolutely no medical experience whatsoever. Yeah. And can you imagine, uh, you know, you've never had any medical experience. Uh, You've retired and this is going to be your, you know, something you want to do. And all of a sudden you're out there on um, a really horrible uh, fatality car wreck. I mean, they have to have somebody to talk with as well. Oh yeah, And so it's vital. The other thing we've kind of started doing too, and I started this about, I guess about a year ago, and then everything's been crazy with the pandemic. So it's been a little bit different, but uh, I reached out uh, whenever they uh, will call whether it be fire chief or it'll be a police chief or whomever and, and want a response, I will also ask them after we're finished uh, figuring out, you know, when we want to have this event, who all is going to be there, how many are going to be there, what's the best time for it, make sure we have the correct address and everything. I will ask them, how are their spouses and families doing? Because we know that that's vital that they also get that help. Uh, and we have a, uh, we have a spouse team. Uh, it's fa- kind of a family support team. Um, we have a uh, fire spouse on it. We have several law enforcement spouses on it. Um, and you know, as well as I know that if you come from a first responder family, that family, probably also needs to be treated by somebody, by a mental health person, if needed, who is very familiar with first responders. Yeah. Uh, Because they're just, while they're, you are 
<laughs> first responders are normal people, obviously, things are a lot different for you all. And um, there's actually pros and cons to being from a first responder family. Yes. You learn a lot of the mistakes. The cons being though, that sometimes you continue those mistakes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Would you I, I always, I agree? I always tell our families, you know, uh, you need to reach out and yes, there will be some of your EAPs and, and EAPs are great for certain things. And I'll say uh, employee assistance program for those who don't know. Um, the EAP is something that can be wonderful uh, for your, I think, non-first responder families. Your first responder families really need to have somebody who understands first responders because it is a lot different. Um, the things that kids will go through um, and, you know, and going back to the officer involved shooting, you know, kids go through a lot sometimes uh, when that's happened. And, um, you know, you've got the first responder who's worried about everything and, and what's going to happen to me and how's this going to go. And then you've got the spouse who may not, may or may not know what's been, what's gone on kids may hear it from other kids at school everybody has an opinion good or bad uh and it can really cause a lot of stress and a lot of grief for that entire family and so i think it, it works better at least from my opinion uh if they go to somebody who if they need to who does understand um because Others may not understand that. Oh, well, you know, you may need to be put on medicine or you may need to have this or that happen. And, and it may not always be the case. Um, I would say one of the things that uh, I think that is different here, at least in Kentucky, and I know we're kind of moving in a different path here is, uh, you know, with our in Kentucky, our statewide law enforcement team, our Kentucky LEAP, uh, the Law Enforcement Assistance Program, uh, is different uh, than others in the sense that, you know, um, when it was first thought of, uh, Travis and, and Larry went to the South Carolina PCIS to kind of learn about it, uh, sat at the table uh, themselves came back, uh, approached uh, my boss at the time and myself uh, about having a team. And somebody had mentioned to them, well, they've already got a statewide team. As a matter of fact, our team will be 25 years old this year. Um, and why reinvent the wheel? They already have things in place where they have law enforcement on the team. They already know how to do the applications. They already have the training. They already have the 24-hour number and on-call system. Why not house it under there? And so that's how kind of the Kentucky League team ended up under us. And so one of the, the privileges that I have had the past few years is that I've gotten to coordinate that program. I've gotten to um, literally kind of see this program grow um, I have the ability to be able to go and uh, train other peer law enforcement peer teams in the state. Uh, currently, we have uh, three other peer teams plus the uh, state police peer team. 
And then uh, we have another one I'm, I'll be training as well. And as part of that, part of the commitment of training them and providing that training to them, and by training, I mean the SISM, um, is that they also get on the statewide peer team uh, and become a member of that, which is wonderful because it gives us additional individuals that we can use. And so we have had spouses that continue to get on that team as well. Uh, we have chaplains that are specific to law enforcement that um, may be on that team. And we have um, behavioral health people uh, that are also on that team. So anybody that is a peer or a mental health person at our PCIS, uh, at the KYPCIS, which is housed under the, the Department of Criminal Justice Training, I can't say enough nice things about that program and excellent things about it. Um, but the behavioral health folks, um, at least three of them, and all the peers, including the spouses, have all been through the SISM training and are also on the statewide peer team, which is, is wonderful. And so one of the things that um, I have been able to do as a, a marriage and family therapist is that uh, I've been able to also um, do a couple session at the PCIS um, so that individuals who bring their spouses have the opportunity if they'd like to, to have a, a marriage and family session, uh, which has been, you know, just wonderful. Uh, it's been great. Um, I would say, you know, that uh, our team in general, just overall, um, we don't, we haven't typically just self-deployed. The only time we ever really typically self-deploy is in a disaster. And when the governor has declared a disaster, then because we are listed in statute at this point as uh, the lead organization, we have that ability to, to just deploy to that. So we'll be deploying pretty soon, I'm sure. Um, so that we can go down to some of those centers. Um, and then right now, while they're starting to do cleanup and whatnot, uh, we'll start getting people down on the ground and, and out there working with the people in those communities. Um, so it'll be busy <laughs> to say the least. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, one of the, uh, I would say one of the other areas that I think I've been lucky in doing is that um, I'm a approved instructor with the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation. So I get to teach the assisting individuals, the group crisis intervention. Uh, some of the other classes I really enjoy teaching are the pastoral crisis intervention one and two and the, and the combo. And um, in Kentucky, the, uh, in order to be a fire chief or a fire chaplain or to um, be a police chaplain, one of the things that they ask is that they take those classes um, so that they have a better understanding of the SISM and, and better understanding of how to work with individuals. And I always enjoy doing those classes because I'm typically in the presence of many spiritual people who are uh, just a joy to be around. Um, and who always bring additional things that I haven't thought about um, into play. And so it's always a learning process for me as well. Uh, the last class that I get to teach is the law enforcement perspectives and SISM enhancement. Um, and so 
I think that, you know, I, I, there are many reasons why I, I have enjoyed this position and enjoy this job and um, just being able to, to give back and to, to help those um, who may need that help. And um, if I may, if I could just, you know, talk just a little bit about, um, about working with the marriage and family therapy. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think that I, I have learned um, and I learned this, I've learned this in my classes as well, is that, you know, first responders a lot of times don't want to talk with their spouses about what has happened or what has occurred. And, and I get that. Um, but those individuals that you're coming home to are the individuals that should be able to support you hundred percent. And so I always ask them, um, you as spouses, would you be interested in knowing what your spouse, how their day has gone? And uh, let's show, you know, hands and hands, all the hands go up. Um, you know, I'll ask the first responders, how come you don't share this? And they're like, you know, and it seems to be several different reasons. The biggest ones seem to be, um, I want to protect them. I don't want them to have to uh, conjure up in their mind what I've seen or what has gone on. Uh, two, you know, I, I try to leave work at work and home is home. And that, I get that completely. I'll say to the spouse though, why do you want to hear this? And they say they want to hear it because they want to feel like they're a part of supporting and helping their spouse deal with whatever event or incident that has taken place uh, and to be there for them. And so then I'll ask them, how many of you just want to know maybe, you know, it was a bad day. Uh, there was a car wreck. We lost some people. You know, a few hands will go up. How many of you all want more details about it? There'll be other hands that go up. So I, I guess I would say and encourage uh, that there be a conversation. Ask them, do you want to hear and how much do you want to hear? Because when, when things happen, if they happen, uh, that is going to be the person that hopefully will be the person that's there that's, that's going to be able to support you and support you better um, by having some understanding. Um, the other thing about it is, I would say, is, you know, communication is vital. I mean, you've got to talk. But there's also that time that I feel like the first responder needs to have that kind of decompression or that time to come home and uh, chill just a little bit uh, before they have to switch from police officer mode to mom or dad. Um, and that could be a 10 minute thing. It could be a 15 minute thing. Uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, read Bill and um, oh, what is Bill and Pam Farrell's book. Uh, men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti or not. Okay. That sounds interesting though. <laughs> what it is interesting because what they say is that men very much are like waffles because if you look at a waffle, you see all those squares. Okay. okay. So men are very compartmentalized. Now, if you happen to be a first responder, also that's female, you can tend to be that waffle um, because things go in squares. I mean, you're compartmentalized and you have to do some of that. Um, women, on the other hand, tend to be, to some degree, spaghetti. 
and I'm not uh, saying that this is our first responder women because typically women that are first responders do fit the waffle mode. Um, and so just an example of the spaghetti mode is this. You walk in the door and uh, you come home and I go, oh, hi, Sarge, how are you doing? How was your day? Hey, did you uh, stop by and get the laundry yet? Um, I, I thought you were going to pick up the cleaning and supper on the way home. You're not going to believe what little Michael did today. He was just, I mean, he got into everything. Do you know I went to the store and while I was at the store, do you know I ran into Carol and do you know Carol and John are getting a divorce? You're still at the door back in that compartment of, hi, honey, how was your day? Yeah. <laughs> You're still back at um, your next compartment of, did I pick up the dry cleaning? No, I forgot to pick up the dry cleaning. Daggone it. Yes, I have the supper. Um, and so if each individual kind of stood back and realized what that other person kind of is, I mean, we weave in and out of conversations and we can go back to any part of that conversation and we know what we were talking about. It's one of those crazy things in spaghetti land. Uh, but the waffle, you're still back in that compartment and still trying to to deal with all that. It's not a negative thing by any means, but understanding that communication style too um, can be very helpful. Uh, you know, one of the things, and I, you know, I've thought about this a lot and I'm like, I'm not really sure how this little nursery rhyme came to be, you know, the nursery rhyme sticks and stones may break my bones, mm -hmm. but words will never hurt me. Oh yep. my gosh. That's so untrue. Words, you know, bones will heal. Once that comment has come out, you can apologize all you want, but it's out there. Oh yeah. And it stays there and it can be very uh, hurtful to an individual. So I always try to encourage couples to fight fair. You know, if you're, you're, you're going to have a disagreement, don't go to bed angry. Take time to talk about it. Absolutely. Try not to say anything that once it's out there, you can't take back. Um, listen to the other person. Give that person that space if they need that space. Some people don't need that space when they come home, and that's okay. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. I had one spouse say to me, Oh, is that why my husband comes in and he, he immediately sits down and has to play a, a, a PlayStation game? And I'm like, it could be. She said, I did ask him one time, why are you doing this? And he said, well, I just need to relax a minute. I need to just kind of de-stress. Okay. Take that time to de-stress. At some point, though, you got to stop playing PlayStation. Three hours? No. <laughs> you know, you've got to get it, start interacting with your family. Um some of the other things that we kind of talk about is, is talking about that intimacy, you know, that intimacy of just taking that time to be with that person, you know, just sitting there with that person, taking time to uh, recognize and hear that person, laugh with that person, joke with that person. Um, if you're not having that, then you're not going to be having uh, the other things that go along with marriage. You're not going to be able to have those, those wonderful intimate moments because you're not doing some of this other stuff as well. So those are some of the things that, you know, I kind of uh, talk with them about. Um, I will say that it's been very interesting uh, that couples have wanted to take that time to, to talk about 
what's going on and just maybe picking even one thing that they're having difficulty with and, and helping them to find out better ways to, to interact with one another so that they are capable of having a better relationship. Well, I'm going to tell you, perfect. I'm glad I had you on the show for starters, because I know your specialty and I know your passion. Um, guys, we talked about COVID and natural disaster in the beginning. And of course it went right into Kelly's heart and background, which is family. All of this ties together. This all ties together. Um, we talked a lot about PCIS. Uh, Kelly was dead on with this as well. PCIS isn't just for the traumatic incident that happened on duty. So PCIS, and if you haven't, the past shows have talked about PCIS a lot, post-critical incident seminar. Uh, if you're somebody who is, is looking for an avenue that needs to go to the next level beyond the peer one-on-one like Kelly was talking about, or even the diffusings and debriefings as a group uh, related to an incident. Uh, if you feel like you need that next step and you need that care, it probably is PCIS and it does not have to be work related. That's the biggest kicker about PCIS. Natural disasters are definitely in the realm of things that PCIS covers. First responder loses a house or first responder, God forbid, yeah. loses a family member. Um, due to a natural disaster, PCIS is for you. Losing the house is a big deal. Um, Absolutely. You know, the, the sad thing is, is, you know, we all fear, you know, house fire, but we know the percentages or the likelihood of that happening is very slim. I mean, we houses are made to a certain standard and we're, we're not worried about as much, but we still have smoke detectors. We still protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. Natural disaster is a different ball game. That is unpredicted. That is nature's wrath. And that's you're, you're, you're subject to whatever happens. You don't have a safety mechanism, so to say, like you would with a smoke detector. Yeah. You might have the national weather service send out alerts, but that's not for your house. That's just for your area. You may or may not see anything from that national weather service thing. So it, it's, right. there's no alarm to you. But with that being said, it's, it's more, it's more impactful. So if you feel like you need that, please keep that in the back of your, your, you know, I like to say in the back of your toolbox, but on your tool belt, keep it ready for uh, as an option for mental health. You need this. Kelly hit all over it. This is what we're talking about. The other thing, COVID. If you've gone through COVID and, and Kelly talked about this, if you've gone through COVID, um, you obviously are going through the fear of dealing with it either as a first responder, military, medical professional, um, you'll see often, and Kelly is about to nod her head. Yes. When I say this, a lot of first responders and a lot of medical people tend to end up in the marriages together. So you got a lot of nurses that marry cops. You got a lot of firefighters yeah. that marry nurses. I mean, it's just, that's just nature of the beast because it's a similar field of service and, and it's the similar hearts that hit each other. So, but with that being said, there's a lot of fear of bringing COVID home to the other or to the kids or to the parents or what have you. If you've gone through COVID and you, you, you've gotten past that point, do know that there are resources out there. If you're struggling with the mental aftermath, because there is mental aftermath. This is not just to the first responder. It is also to the kids of the first responders. Kelly said it. The kids are, I mean, think about it. They, they thrive on friendships, relationships, just like adults do. 
and even more so to a degree because it gives them their character and their individuality. But if they are having to stay home more and more, then that's putting a mental strain on them. So pay attention to your kids also. If they need some help, then please just ask. Uh, Kelly Robinson's one of the – I'm telling you, she's great when it comes to, to family, to family crisis, to, to mental health with the family. I, I've, she's a blessing in, in my world personally. So I, I'm glad she's on the show. I'm glad you joined the show. Uh, one thing I do ask Kelly uh, from all of my guests is to take us to a close with something positive. Do you got something positive you can share with us today? Sure. You know, I think probably the uh, thing I would say is this. Take time for you. Remember that you are important. Remember that there is nothing that is too crazy, for lack of words, too stupid, too embarrassing, to not reach out and talk to somebody. You know, we're there for you. There are people that are there for you. Um, be kind to yourself. Realize that you're a blessing from above. Uh, realize that, you know, there are people there who love you and care about you. And, you know, it may not be somebody you even know. Um, pray for one another. Uh, be there for one another as you can. Try to laugh. You know, one of the things I always try to, to ask people and say to people is this. Each night before you go to bed, I bet if you really looked at you would be able to name three or four different things that didn't go right in your day that were negative that day. Each night before you go to bed, write down one or two things that were positive. Maybe you can't think of anything that's positive. Well, guess what? Maybe you got out of bed that day. That's a positive. It may seem like it's little, uh, but over time, when you start looking at things and you start writing down things and you look for the positive, then you're going to see more positive than you're going to see negative. Absolutely. So. Well, Kelly, thank you for being on the show. I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, I love your soul. I love you as a friend and I, I do appreciate what you're doing in Kentucky. Definitely keep everybody safe up there. Yeah. Stay on the up and up and you know, call us. If you need anything. We'll we'll have vehicle, we'll travel. So absolutely absolutely. Sarge, thank you uh for having me. Uh, I know it was a little scattered here and there, but you know there's so many things out there and so many different things to talk about. Um Well that just I means we gotta have you back. That's right. That's it. Uh, I appreciate, you know, you're doing this. I appreciate you're taking the time to do this. Um, I appreciate your understanding and seeing the worth in, in having family therapy and, and disaster talked about. Um, you know, I, I, I love you dearly. And I'm uh, now beginning to uh, love your wife as well. Uh, uh, having t had some encounters with her. It's like uh, meeting an old friend. 
And uh, next time I get to South Carolina, obviously, I'll have to touch base with you. But, you know, it's here, too. You have my number. Uh, you need anything. Don't hesitate to call. You have somebody that's got a family thing going on. Don't hesitate to call. You got a first responder or a spouse that needs to talk. Don't hesitate to call. That's what we're here for. Absolutely. And that's how we all are, folks. That's right. Thanks again for listening, friends. Let me tell you, we are greatly appreciative of your support of the SOS show, the Striped Onion show, and we are just as grateful for the friends we have inside our CISM network. Don't forget to share today's SOS call on your social media platforms. That is critical to getting the word out. And also make sure to leave some comments on whichever platform you listen to us on. We will respond to you. Visit our website at some point, thesosshow.com, and check it out. See what we have there. Sign up for the email notifications about shows and events we have coming up in the future. This is all about the first responders, about their support circles. So we want to make sure that it is impactful. And until next time, we hope everyone has a great day and a great week. Y'all stay safe out there, and God bless.